Good afternoon. My name is Brian. For those of you who have I've not had the opportunity to meet. Okay. We're going to switch headphone headsets here. Let's see how that works. Uh, turn it on. That would help. How's that? Better? No crackles? Right. is rebellion against God. And it deserves God's condemnation. And it has made us enemies of God. But God is love. God is grace. God is merciful. And so from that moment in the garden when our ancestors disobeyed, God has been revealing his plan to make right what we made wrong. And so Jesus Christ came into the world without sin, entirely obedient to the Father, and he went to the cross to take on himself the punishment that we deserved for our sin so that we might be gifted from him his righteousness and therefore have peace with God. In Christ, God is undoing everything that went wrong in the garden and with every single person after that. That is the message of the Bible. That's the message at the heart of Christianity. And that was what was driving the Christians in the book of Acts. Jesus, the King, and the gospel, his message. The Apostle Paul's ministry of proclaiming Christ is the focus of that book from about halfway through the book. In chapter 13, it begins uh, focusing almost solely on the Apostle Paul and his ministry rather than the other apostles. The Apostle Paul, since chapter 13 up to where we are now at the beginning of 21, he has gone on three different missionary journeys. And as we pick up in chapter 21, he's at the tail end of that third missionary journey. During those journeys, he and his companions have led hundreds, perhaps thousands to Christ all throughout the Mediterranean area. But in chapter 19, the Holy Spirit impressed upon Paul the need for him to make his way back to Jerusalem before he made an effort then to go to Rome. He wanted to eventually get to Rome. So as we begin reading in our text this afternoon, Paul is on a journey back to Jerusalem. Look with me for just a minute in your bulletin on page 12. Should I switch to the headset mic at this point? No. Look on page 12. There's a map there, and that is Paul's third missionary journey. I want to just show you where Paul is going to be traveling in the passage that we're studying this afternoon. The solid arrows are Paul's outbound journey, and the dashed lines are Paul's inbound journey. In other words, his journey back towards Jerusalem. And we're picking up where Paul is in Miletus, 
That is on right about in the middle of your map and it's on the coast of what's labeled as Asia. Today that's Turkey. And so today in our passage, Paul is going to travel almost exclusively by boat. And he's gonna travel from Miletus down the coast of Asia, then across the Mediterranean with Cyprus on his left to Tyre, to Ptolemais, to Caesarea, and on to Jerusalem. In the passage just before ours, chapter 20 of Acts, Paul has gathered the Ephesian elders to give them a final charge about taking care of their flock, and he's telling them what lies ahead for him. In chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, he says this, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So now, as we follow Paul on this journey this afternoon, with each leg of his journey, he's getting one step another step closer to Jerusalem, and each step is another step closer to danger. Let's read Acts 21, verses 1 to 16. It's also in your bulletin if you want to turn back and read it there or follow along with me in your Bibles. What a privilege that we have God's Word to study and read. And God will speak to us even now through it if we have soft hearts and ears to hear. Chapter 21, 1 to 16. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, Leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. And there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied while we stay, were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and his hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem, and then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, 
Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Let's pray briefly. Heavenly Father, you are our Lord, our rock, our redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. What I want you to see the Lord teaching us through this passage this afternoon is that we need to obey Christ no matter what. We need to obey Christ no matter what. There's two points to the sermon this afternoon. Obey Christ no matter what others say and obey Christ no matter what it costs. No matter what others say and no matter what it costs, we are to obey our Lord and Savior Jesus. I'm going to be drawing from throughout the passage to help us see how the Lord is teaching us these two lessons this afternoon. And so I don't have specific verse groupings to assign to each of these two points. But first, we're going to talk about and see obey Christ no matter what others say. Now, I think you probably noticed that there are lots of verses in this passage that read like a travel diary. There are lots of places and lots of movement, lots of travel. The first three verses describe Paul and his companions journey by ship from Miletus, where he had gathered those Ephesian elders and given them a final charge onto the city of Kos and then Rhodes and then a city called Patera. And then in Patera, they must have changed boats and sailed all the way from what is that Turkish coast today past the island of Cyprus, with it on their left, to where they landed at Tyre, which was at that point in time a part of Syria. Now Paul and his group quickly find the Christians in Tyre, which is what Paul and his group always do if there are Christians in a city. And they ended up spending seven days with them, a whole week. Of course, Paul probably taught them from the scriptures he probably reinforced the gospel message with them and taught them how to live in step with the Spirit and in line with the gospel. He encouraged their hearts, no doubt. And he shared with them his plans, his plans to go to Jerusalem. But their response is somewhat surprising. Look with me at verse 4 there in chapter 21. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Of course, the Christians in Tyre would have known that Jerusalem was a dangerous place for Paul. I mean, we all know that Paul was that, at one point in time, a leading Pharisee in Jerusalem. He was making his way up through the ranks of Pharisees. And when Pentecost happened and people began to publicly, in great numbers, put their trust and faith in Jesus, Paul turned on them with a vengeance. And Paul was the man who was standing there 
watching on, holding coats, and approving when Stephen, the disciple, was stoned to death. Paul was the one who was on his way to Damascus to put Christians in prison when the Lord struck him down and called him to himself. So to the Jews, Paul was a turncoat. Paul was a traitor. And so in Jerusalem, Paul would have been a wanted man. But more than just logic, the Christians there entire were moved by the Holy Spirit, the scripture tells us here. They spoke, in fact, through the Holy Spirit. They knew the danger that lie ahead for Paul, but Paul would not be stopped. Now, right away, I want to address what seems like a contradiction here and what happens as well in Paul's time in Caesarea. Was Paul acting against the Holy Spirit's guidance by pressing on to Jerusalem despite what the Christians in Tyre urged him not to do? Or what the Christians in Caesarea did as well? We should look down there in Caesarea, that passage in our chapter. After staying just a day in the city of Ptolemais, they went on to Caesarea and they lodged with Philip the Evangelist. Of course, you perhaps remember Philip being chosen as one of the seven in Acts chapter 6 to take care of the distribution of food to the widows in Jerusalem so that the apostles could dedicate themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Philip also was an evangelist, of course. We learned later he shared the gospel throughout the northern area there in Samaria and saw many come to Christ. And now he's settled in Caesarea. He has four daughters who prophesy. And there when they were in Caesarea, Paul and his companions, the prophet Agabus traveled down from Jerusalem, or Judea it says, which is where Jerusalem was. And there he prophesied that Paul would be arrested and bound and handed over to the Gentiles. What is prophecy? I like theologian Tom Schreiner's definition of prophecy. He says, prophecy is spontaneous revelations from God given to his people to instruct, encourage, and warn the people of God. Agabus had given a prophecy back in Acts chapter 8. He had prophesied in and around Jerusalem that there would be a great worldwide famine, and it came to pass. So those who prophesy prophesy without error if they are true prophets. And I believe they almost exclusively were given to men and women during the time before the New Testament was written. Now look with me again at this specific prophecy that Agabus gives in verse 11 of 21. Look there with me. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, if we were to skip forward to chapter 28 in Acts, where Paul is recounting to some Jews that he gathered in Rome, he eventually makes it to Rome, spoiler alert, he 
describes what happened to him in Jerusalem, and it aligns perfectly with what Agabus predicted would happen to him. Paul was arrested and bound. He was delivered into the hands of the Romans, who are Gentiles. And so Agabus's prophecy proved to be true, which was a sure sign of a true prophet, not a false prophet. We read earlier in our service from Deuteronomy 18 about the difference between true prophets and false prophets. True prophets speak true things from God, and that's how you know the difference. So after Agabus' prophecy was given, all those around Paul, of course, began to urge him not to go to Jerusalem. Even Luke, who is writing this account and who had been his traveling companion all throughout this last journey. But Paul essentially said, no, I'm going on to Jerusalem. Now I'm going to come back to Paul's answer in its specifics. But once again, we have to ask the question, was Paul acting against the Holy Spirit's direction by pressing on? I'm confident that the answer is no. I think Paul was right to do what he did. Through the Christians in Tyre and through Agabus and Caesarea and all the other believers there in Caesarea, the Holy Spirit was confirming what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem. But the conclusion that Paul's friends were coming to was, I think, their own conclusion, not from the Spirit. We can put it this way, for example. The Spirit was predicting Paul's destiny, but not prohibiting him from going there. So in other words, let me say it again. The Spirit was predicting what would happen, but not prohibiting Paul from going there. The prohibition that the Christians were urging on Paul was their own conclusion based on what they knew would happen to him. They loved him. They didn't want to see him hurt or taken out of ministry. Of course, Paul stuck to his guns, so to speak, because the Spirit was the one who had sent, set Paul on this journey back to Jerusalem in the first place. But way back in chapter 19, it says, Paul resolved in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He resolved in the Spirit. Paul needed to obey Christ no matter what the others were saying. Even when those others were Christians who were filled with the Spirit, many of them wise and learned. Now, how might this apply to us? First of all, you and I should certainly disregard any non-Christians, or for that matter, Christians who urge us to disobey Christ in any explicit way, when they urge us to be involved in sin, to commit sin that's very clear. Anyone who urges you to lie or cheat or do anything other than obey Jesus should not be listened to. But here in this passage, it's a little more complicated, isn't it? These are dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're speaking through the Spirit. There's prophecy from a, a true prophet of the Lord. They love Paul. They want the best for him. How should we make those kinds of decisions when brothers and sisters in Christ disagree on a course of action or a decision that needs to be made? 
I have three suggestions for you for how we can look to the Lord and be wise in making those kinds of decisions. First of all, we need to pray earnestly. We need to pray earnestly that we would be living for the glory of Christ alone. We need to pray earnestly that we would be walking in accordance with his word, which requires that we be reading and soaking ourselves in God's word so that we know it. And we need to be praying earnestly that we would have a tenderness to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We want to be led by the Spirit and stay in step with the Spirit, as Paul says in his letter to the Galatians. You know, I've noticed that when I've come in my life to difficult decisions and I begin praying earnestly, that it's important for me to recognize what inclinations my heart have to start with. What is it that I actually want to do in this situation? What's the decision that I want to make? And when I acknowledge that before the Lord and say, Lord, this is really what I want to do, but Lord, take my heart and move it to where you want it to be. I want a neutral heart, Lord. I don't want a heart that can only hear you tell me to do what I want to hear you tell me to do. Oh, that's been so important for me in my walk with Christ. Otherwise, we're at risk, brothers and sisters, of deceiving ourselves. We might pray hours, days, weeks. But if we're not honest with what we really want to do, then I think we'll end up coming to that conclusion apart from the Lord. The second thing after we pray earnestly is we need to look for confirmation of the right decision and the wise decision in the circumstances. Consider the circumstances. In other words, we're looking to see how the God who is provident in everything, the God who is in control of every single person and in control of every single thing in this universe, how is he orchestrating our circumstances? Are the doors opening up for us to go a particular direction? Now, you need to be careful about open doors. Sometimes open doors lead to elevator shafts. You don't need to walk through those open doors. But ask yourself, are the circumstances fitting? So that's the second thing. Is God in his providence arranging the circumstances for the wise decision? And thirdly, we need to seek counsel from the church. We need to look around us, those who we've covenanted with, and seek their counsel, particularly those who are wise and maybe have walked with Christ for a while. Especially, I would encourage you, in the midst of difficult decisions, to come and talk to the elders about that. Let us pray with you about your decision. So those are the three suggestions I have for you. Pray earnestly. Consider the circumstances and seek wise counsel. So I have one point of application for you in this particular point. Parents, 
Would you bless your children if they sensed a call to mission work in a faraway land where greater dangers lie? Would you bless them and happily send them on their way? Or would their safety be what motivated your counsel to them? Or perhaps your understandable love for them and desire to be near them? Or would your counsel be guided by your desire for them to live wholeheartedly for Christ and to obey him in everything in their lives? Isn't that what you want for your children most of all, to follow Christ? That should be our goal, parents. You know, perhaps few of us will be urged by the Spirit to travel into lands or geographies where almost certain imprisonment or perhaps even death awaits us. Perhaps few of us will. But we still, each and every day and each and every week, need to consider what the voices around us are saying in comparison to how the Lord is leading us. We need to obey Christ no matter what others say. Paul loved the brothers and sisters in the churches and when their counsel contradicted what the Spirit had confirmed to him, he knew that he had to obey Christ. And you'll notice in these passages here, the unity of the Spirit and the mutual love that they had for one another was preserved, wasn't it? All the family members, all the women and the children included traveled down to the beach there in Tyre and they knelt on the beach and prayed for Paul, sent him off. Even after they had urged him through the Spirit to, to stay, there wasn't any bitterness over his decision. No, they blessed him as he went. Now, if someone you know and love is making a decision that you think perhaps is unwise, it's not the decision that you would make, but it's not a clearly sinful decision. You're free to urge them to make the wise decision, but brothers and sisters, I encourage you, at some point, you must entrust them to the Lord and encourage them with your prayers and your words. They have to answer to the Lord themselves for the decisions they make. I remember when I graduated from university with a mechanical engineering degree, I went to work as an engineer in a manufacturing plant I worked for three years there, but really from the very first day of working as an engineer, I had a desire to go into full-time ministry. And I prayed earnestly and sought counsel over those three years of working as an engineer. And finally, Joanne and I made the decision together to, in fact, for me to leave engineering and for me to go into full-time ministry. And so right about that time, Joanne was pregnant with Hannah, our first child, and so she was going to need to leave her job as a nurse in the critical care unit, and I was leaving my job as a, an engineer and becoming a campus minister, and uh, you might not be surprised to know that the pay is less for a, a campus minister than for an engineer. And Joanne's pay went to zero. And our total pay income was cut by 70% when we took the move and started in on campus ministry. 
I remember talking to my parents about this decision and um, they didn't think it was a wise decision. And I understand why they didn't think it was wise. I think they had our best interests in mind when they were giving that counsel. But we were assured that this was where the Lord was leading us. And so we respectfully disagreed and we made the move. And here I am in Christian ministry 35 years later. Now, I want to tell you that my parents were so gracious when we made that decision and they blessed us as we went. They didn't put us out of the house or shun us or anything like that. And they've been nothing but supportive in these years. But for us, that was a situation where a difficult decision was being made and we needed to even go against perhaps the Christian counsel of others. When it comes to the hard decisions in life, brothers and sisters, obey Christ no matter what others say. It's equally important that we obey Christ no matter what it's going to cost us as well. And that's the second point in the sermon this afternoon. And we see that all throughout the passage. Paul knew that going to Jerusalem was like steering your boat directly towards the hurricane. The Spirit had confirmed to him that he says in chapter 20, in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me, Agabus's prophecy would come true. But Paul's personal safety, of course, was never his greatest concern, was it? His greatest concern was obedience to Christ and the proclamation of the gospel. Paul was following in the footsteps of his Savior, Jesus. When the time came for Jesus to be crucified, he began to journey toward Jerusalem. Jesus' ministry and teaching had created many enemies among the Jews. They had even come close to arresting him, even stoning him at one point in time, and he had escaped. And shortly after that, he is gathered with his disciples who know the physical danger that he's in. And in John 11, Jesus says to them, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again? But Jesus pressed on in obedience to his father in heaven and even his disciple Thomas then said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Listen again to Paul's reply to all his beloved companions in love who are urging him not to go there in Caesarea. We see it in verse 13. What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, Paul had counted the cost and he was wholeheartedly committed to obeying Christ no matter what the cost was. The way of Jesus is toward the cross. And so for Paul, the way of Jesus, for him in this situation, was toward Jerusalem. Jesus had said in his ministry, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? If you're not a Christian, you may be thinking to yourself, I mean, the things that this guy is talking about that is required to follow Jesus, that it is a high price to pay. It's a great sacrifice. It's too much. But do you hear the promise that Jesus was making in those words that I just read to those who lose their lives for him? He says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Any cost we pay for following Christ in this world will be more than compensated for in the world to come. Paul wrote to the Romans, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. If you're not a Christian now, you can become one today. If you're counting the cost and you're ready to follow Jesus, you can do it right now. First step in obeying Christ, no matter what others say and no matter what the cost is to renounce your sin, to acknowledge that you've rebelled against God and to put your trust and faith in Jesus the King. And the immediate benefit of infinite value that you will reap is the forgiveness of your sins and friendship and peace with God. Won't you do that now? You can do it right where you sit. You can say to yourself, Lord, I've sinned. I've disobeyed you in so many ways. I believe that Jesus is your son and that he died on the cross for my forgiveness. I trust in him. It can be that simple. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Few of us will likely face imprisonment or death for obeying Christ. But obeying Christ, no matter what the cost, is in fact a daily decision for us, isn't it? We take up our cross and deny ourselves and countless decisions that we face. Some of them might be in the workplace, for example. Will you work with integrity and honesty, even if the boss wants you to lie and cheat? It might cost you your job. Or maybe if you have good non-Christian friends that you appreciate and you're trying to share your faith with, but will you obey Christ and not join in with them in their sinful behavior? You might be rejected. You might lose those friends. Obeying Christ will cost everyone something. Our church has to be a place where we encourage one another to obey Christ no matter what the cost. Are you asking one another what tough decisions that you're facing about the tough decisions that you're facing in your life? Are you consulting with them and asking them to pray with you? Are you talking to others and, and asking them, what can I pray for you about? You know, our relationships, our, our friendships here in Covenant Hope Church, where we've covenanted with one another, they should be deep enough that these topics are the topics that we're talking about with one another at some regularity. We shouldn't be afraid to go that deep because that's how we love one another deeply. 
That's how we encourage one another deeply. Maybe a good question for you to ask each other after the service, even today, is what challenging situations or decisions are you facing that I could pray for you about today? So many of you know what's going on in Afghanistan right now. And several of the pastors here in the UAE have trained Afghani pastors. Afghans who have, Afghanis who have turned from Islam and they've trusted in Jesus Christ, even some of them who are pastors. One pastor here in the UAE, this past week and a half I know has been in daily constant contact with 30 or 40 Afghan believers who are in hiding and were up until recently desperately trying to get out of the country because the Taliban had messaged them and said, we know who you are, we know where you are, and we're coming to get you. You see, these Afghanis who had trusted in Jesus had changed their official religion on their ID cards from Islam to Christianity. Because they sensed that that's what the Spirit wanted them to do. To be honest and clear that they were followers of Jesus. Following Jesus can be quite costly. The Christians in Tyre and the Christians in Caesarea loved Paul and they didn't want to lose him. And they might not have had a church covenant written down, but they would have been carrying out the spirit of what's written in our church covenant. Where we promise to walk together in brotherly love, exercising affectionate care and watchfulness over each other. And faithfully warning, rebuking and admonishing one another when necessary. That's what was going on there in Tyre and Caesarea. And the Christians at Tyre prayed for him at the beach in a send-off, and the Christians in Caesarea wept in sadness. And when Paul wouldn't be dissuaded from going to Jerusalem, they stopped and they prayed for him. Let the Lord's will be done. That's the kind of loving and spiritually discerning church culture that will strengthen all of us in our efforts to obey Christ no matter what the cost. Brothers and sisters, obey Christ. Obey him no matter what, no matter what others say, and no matter what the cost is. And God will get the glory. Let's pray.